Welcome back to Friends Like Us. Marina Franklin here, your host, creating your own seat at the table. That's what we're talking about. We have a returning friend, Noye Brown-West, is here. She is a New York-based Nigerian-American comedian and writer. She's one of my young stars. She's been featured in Boston Globe's Rise column as a comic to watch, and we agree, as well as in NPR, PBS, and ABC's Sway in the Morning. And she was featured in the New York Comedy Festival. Noye made her acting debut in The Sympathy Card. Available for streaming on Vudu, Apple, Amazon, and Google Play. Welcome, new friend to the show, Kay Singleton. Kay is an award-winning writer, producer, and actress that is well on her way to making her own footprint in this industry. She's best known for her series regular role beginning in season three of Tyler Perry's The Oval on BET as Simone, the beautiful, smart, and cunning wife of the Vice President of the United States and her sixth season recurring role as Josie on Saints and Sinners, Bounce TV's number one show. She's also had memorable roles on BET's Sisters, Tales, and American Soul, TNT's Claws, TV One's Don't Waste Your Pretty, and Netflix's Dumpling. In 2020, Kay secured her first production deal as a first-time showrunner and creator for the highly rated anthology series, Covenant, which will be returning soon, but you'll have to hear it on the show. Welcome, Kay. Fast track to best friends. I want to thank all of our listeners and friends like us. Because of you, we make some pretty impressive lists. You can hear us on Google Podcasts Now, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts. Review and rate us on Apple Podcasts. That's important. Subscribe. Make sure you turn on the auto download function for Friends Like Us on Apple Podcasts. You can email us at friendslikeuspodcast at gmail.com. Instagram is Friends Like Us Podcast, and Twitter is Friends Like Us 10. Become more than a friend, leave us a tip, donation. Just go to our Patreon page. Go to Patreon backslash Friends Like Us. Special shout out to our Patreon friends. It's because of you we keep going. For real. And now available, we have a backstage option where you can watch the recordings live on Mondays. And it's available for our golden friends. Merch is available as well. We have t-shirts, hoodies. It's hoodie seasons, folks. Yes, didn't it just come around really fast? It's like I'm back to a hoodie. Coffee mugs, face masks, and tank tops. They're all available. Just go to marinafranklin.com. Weekly on my YouTube channel, I go live with my assistant, Evelyn Frick, my wacky friend, Dave Juskow. We give updates to the show. We shout out fans who leave reviews. And we have surprise guest friends from the podcast who stop by. And sometimes we even offer free stuff like tickets to comedy shows. And with friends like us, it'll help you feel not so alone because more content is on the way. Tell a friend you know to check us out. Stay safe. Wash those dirty little hands. Wear a mask still if you want to. Get vaccinated. Boost her up. And Black Lives Matter. I am so excited for today's new friend. And we have also joining us Noye Brown-West. I always have Noye on because she's one of my very young stars in the comedy game. And she's also, she's responsible enough to have on a show with a new friend. <laughs> so thank you. And she's one of my stock buddies. We do, we, yes. do, we talk about stocks all the time. We're both losing money though. <laughs> yeah, we're losing money this week, but um, mm. I've, I've shuffled some things around. 
But and, no, uh, we all need to get involved in, in stocks and training and learning how it all works more. So I'd love to hear it. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, we, um, Noye and I both, my uncle Buzz, that's what I call Uncle him. Buzz. He's a doctor, Dr. <laughs> Wayman Merrill in California. He, um, like almost a year ago, he said he felt bad that he hadn't showed us or me and the family how to earn money generational wealth. So he offered to teach me how to buy in stocks, how to read the charts. And Noye is one of my young stars. And I, and I know she does this anyway before. So I said, do you want to join a couple of comics? I invite them on. And Noye is there all the time. Yes. I love Uncle Buzz. <laughs> yeah. Uncle Buzz loves Noye, Noye too. Like he's, she's like his star pupil. <laughs> I have some other comics on there and he only lights up when Noye's on. Hi. <laughs> Noye has preferential treatment. I love it. I love to hear it. Yes. But we are so happy to have you, Kay Singleton. You're an actress. I'm going to do your intro again, even though I do it at the beginning of the show. I do like a whole thing about you, but I just want to say it myself because I find this, Kay, you're just so impressive. Um, films such as Sisters on BT, Claws on TNT, which is Noye's favorite show. Oh, come on, Claws. Yes, I do it myself. They look good, honey. <laughs> Don't Waste Your Pretty on TV One, Tales on BET, American Soul on BET, Dumplin' on Netflix, which I have to watch. You might also recognize her from Tyler Perry's The Oval as Simone. She's beautiful, smart, and the cunning wife of the Vice President of the United States. And now, Kay secured her first production. Well, no, it's been a while. It's been over a year now, right? Right, but it hasn't been out for a year. Um, we just released it last at the end of last fall. So the last episode um, aired in January of this year. So yes, it's fairly new. First time showrunner and creator for Con... Co sorry. Cov Co Covenant. There she goes. <laughs> showrunner for Covenant. And I have to take me to... Well, first I want to ask you, how did you go from being a director for a major luxury beverage brand, which... That I, I mean, I don't mean to be sound offensive or anything, but that does not sound as exciting as being a showrunner for Covenant. So, like, why go from like that? What made you switch? Well, you know what? I was working in marketing uh, for a long time. And I thought after seeing Boomerang, you know, we all saw Boomerang and, and saw, you know, Eddie Murphy and, and Robin Givens and all them working in New York for these advertising agencies. So I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, it was aspirational. That's what I want to do. I want to be in advertising. I want to be in marketing. And so I was working for um, Ruben Quantrill and Moet Hennessy for a while. And then I caught that acting bug because I booked some very small little part in um, a student film. And I realized on set, I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. And because I'm super, super type A and whatever I want to get into, I go like head, I dive head first in. I maneuvered my way out to Los Angeles and I got a scholarship to a two year conservatory program, Stella Adler. And um, it's for theater and it was amazing. Um, and going from there, I trained with Ivana Chubbuck, who is a really, really famous acting coach. And once I learned all I could, I came back to Atlanta and uh, finally quit working <laughs> in marketing and said, I'm going to go after this, you know, full steam ahead. And it's, I haven't looked back ever since. I 
booked Saints and Sinners in season one and ended up being there for six seasons. So, you know, it was it was a whirlwind of experience, but it was something that I made sure that I got the training that I needed to really, really um, go headfirst into the industry. That's amazing because some people will go, I don't want to do the training because it'll mess me up. But you actually went into it head in and said, this is what I need. This is what I need. Because I'm always, my mom is a teacher, right? Um, She was a science teacher um, in middle school for a very long time. And I come from a, a lineage of teachers. My aunts are teachers. And so education was always really, really important um, for my family. And so, and, you know, my dad put himself through school and he had his own company. So he always was like, if you're not going to go to college, which was, you know, slightly mandatory, you're going to have to do something. You're going to have a a trade, some kind of specialized education in something. And so because I came from that background, if I felt like this was something I wanted to do, you know, why not put in the work to be good at it? Because I didn't want to just be, you know, mediocre. I wanted to get to a point where I felt like I was contributing, you know, to the art form. Noye, have you ever taken an acting class? Um, I've taken writing. Well, actually, yes. When I was, I was a child model. (laughs) I know, I I, I get embarrassed about that. I was a child model. Uh, (laughs) So back then, Back then I did, but I, I've taken like writing courses. And when I first started doing comedy, I took like a comedy course. Um, my parents were professors too. So I understand that, like wanting to know how to do it. The writing courses I've been taking have been, oh my God. But no theater training? No theater. Well, when I was a kid, yes, but not since then. Not since. <laughs> I used to, I always, I, you know, some of the listeners that go, Marina's always bringing it back to herself. She's so selfish. <laughs> but the thing is, is I started off in theater. So I, I went to, I went to, um, and I was just like yourself. I believed in school. You know, you got to go to some school to figure out the bolts, you know, the nuts, the bolts and everything. And I, at University of Illinois, I couldn't major in it because my, my dad was like, how dare you go to college and major in theater? You're going to go and get a real degree. <laughs> but I always did like undergraduate. What was it? Um, my unders, not my major, my minor. Oh, right, yeah. right. Was in, I mean, it was not really a minor. It was just classes I wanted to take. Mm -hmm. Let's be real. But I was a major in psychology and minor in theater. And there was always the theater of the black experience. And that was my first thing. And then I went to Syracuse to actually major in theater. So I did three years of theatrical training. And I'm going to be honest with you, years later, I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if it actually made me, I see, I, cause I know you, you did, and you have such a positive story, but I was like, when I go to auditions, I don't feel like any of that training, it doesn't, I don't use it. Auditions are terrible. I, I hate to say that I, because you don't really get, you know, the opportunity to show all you can do. You're in there for this small amount of time and now it's all virtual, which is a different situation, but Auditions are the hardest thing ever, which was one of the reasons why I got into writing, too, because I wanted to, you know, have more of a have more of a secure future. But I do feel like we should tell our own stories and have more of an opportunity to tell our own stories and play the roles that we want to play. Anyway, I'm segueing. Go ahead. 
No, he no, is, this right? is great. We're because I could. I don't want to make it about me, but I, I will say auditions virtually. I like. I'm still. You see my background, right? Mm-hmm. Like you have to really set it up. Like I, I know like actresses. They've they've got all the stuff. Do you have all the equipment for? virtual auditions listen i'm on another level but not meaning not above anything but i just feel like if i have to dedicate a whole room to this whole auditioning process it's too much you know i don't have that much real estate and so (laughs) at one point i went on like a self-imposed strike like i'm not taping all this stuff you know they need to hold in-person auditions again which honestly only hurts me but i feel like it it is a lot of work to dedicate to turning a room in your home for auditions, to trying to get someone to read with you or paying somebody to go to a taping service and pay them, you know, $40, $50 a pop to tape you. It, it's a lot. It is a lot. I, I actually turned down a few auditions. I, I sometimes I'm, I feel bad. I have this like, like Marina, the agents are going to be like, she doesn't want to audition. Don't send it to her. But... I mean, sometimes I also feel like they just throw everybody at the wall. So, I, you know, I feel like they're not going to lose out that much. And then I also feel like auditions. I never forget Kelly Ripa saying this. She goes, it's such a scam. She goes, does anyone get anything? They already know who they want. Mm -hmm. And that's another level, because once you're on the other side of it, right, as a producer and whatnot, you see most of the time offers are already out. They're just doing this for extra. I feel like I'm talking too much. Tell too many secrets. It's okay. But I feel like uh, 90% of the time they already have offers out. And so. Yeah, the uh, offers out, then they get, then the offers don't come in. And then it's really just for the casting agent to see who did a great job, right? It's for backup. Because something might fall through, you know, you might have to have another actor come in at that offer. For some reason, the who they wanted can't do it or has to pull out. You need to have other options. And so that's, yes. you know, what that's that's about in a lot of times. And other times is they don't want to pay, you know, the um, quote from whichever cast member. So then they have to have auditions to try to get someone for cheaper. So yes. it's. Kelly, she was, <laughs> she was telling the truth in that moment. I always just think of it as, okay, it's a practice on auditioning. I'll do it just to practice. But it's so, you know, when I get an audition, I don't know about you, Noye, but if I get an audition in the middle of the day, it ruins my day. Yeah, same. It depends on how long it takes me to do it too. Like sometimes if it's just like an emotional fake crying thing, easy. If it's like, I have to be myself at all, First of all, it's free work. And as a comic, you know, we don't like that. But if I have to be myself at all, I have to do like a hundred takes. That is so crazy. I would think it would be the opposite. Where... No, because like there's this fake me that just comes out <laughs> when I'm doing self-tape. I sound insane. I'm like, who is that? That's not me. And now my new manager is um, a casting director or was an ex-casting director. So yes. she clocks out immediately. So I know I'm going to have to send her something that seems natural mm-hmm. or she's just going to say no. But you so. know what? That's great that you say that because I used to do that too. It was a different voice that came out. It wasn't, I don't know why. When I first started, it was like some other tone, some other person that didn't really sound like me. It's like the actor came out. So yes. I completely understand where you're coming from 
They used yeah, to have to me in the in the room too. I'd be like, "Who's that?" I was doing this at home. I was all comfortable, and now all of a sudden. But it's also like I would just have to end my day because I got an audition. You know what I mean? Like now I got to prepare for something. Like where's like, and I smoke a lot of marijuana, so like I, then I have to. I can't smoke that night. And, just, <laughs> and don't let it be you know eight to ten pages. Which oh, is nuts. Yeah, during you know, pilot season, it's it's crazy. You get all those pages, you know. So then I, now I definitely have to cut back. I don't smoke right now because you know I had a little bit of the Covey cocoa, <laughs> but um, I'm good. Everybody, everyone's like, "What, Marina Franklin?" Because I was so good at it, and then I finally got it. But I'm good. Oh, good. Um, but so I, I, my mind is like really good, but it's crazy <laughs> that I'm like. Damn, can't smoke this week. <laughs> Let me tell you, it is not a good drug for that reason. But you are now a showrunner. So you're you are in the room. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're in charge of the room. Like, what was that switch like from actor to showrunner? Oh my gosh. It you know, I because I don't like want to sugarcoat it. It was one of the hardest things I ever did in my life. It I mean it completely, it changed me fundamentally, emotionally, you know, spiritually, the whole nine, because I don't think when I took on the job, I understood exactly what I was jumping into, you know, this ocean of, of, of sharks and, and whirlpools and all these things I was trying to avoid. And so I think for me, and, and I would tell anyone else to make sure you know as much about the process um, as you can before you get into it. This is a a changing world where because there's so many different streaming services, there's more opportunities for writers and producers and directors, right? But, and there's not the, the same level of training that you would normally go through. But there's certain things that you have to make sure that you're cognizant of. And one of those things is your budget. Um, Make sure that you have a competent line producer, and that you know how to do a budget yourself. So that when they're bringing you things and showing you things, or there's deliverables that need to be there, like you know what you're supposed to be expecting, you know what you're looking at, and you know how to manage it yourself. And I think learning all of these things along the way, whether it was in pre-production, whether it was in you know planning and then locations and casting and shooting and then rap and then post-production and then deliverables and then legal, you know, it's, it's so much, but to have a graph. So to be in that seat, it was daunting. Um, it was a blessing, but I got to tell you, if it weren't for God, it wouldn't pull me through. And I was surrounded with an amazing group of people, um, for the most part that wanted to, um, see it win. Not everybody, but most of them. <laughs> <laughs> so you, who was mentoring you? Was there anyone that stood out that you can mention? Well, yeah, for sure. So I went to, um, I took, first off, I took writing classes for two, three, two and a half years at Bridge 17. And so that kind of changed the game for me. So to be able to make sure that your script is is structurally correct so that once you get there to the day, it, it films better. But then also once we were there, my director um, that directed three of the episodes, um, 
he, Courtney Miller, I met him doing Saints and Sinners. And so because he came into it, you know, with a level of experience, he helped along the way. And then the fantastic crew that just made sure that they stepped up to the plate um, in every way possible. Also, um, Jim Tripp, he is the head unit production manager, line producer at Tyler Perry Studios. He was one of the first people to teach me how to do a budget. And he sat down with me before we um, started shooting. And he was like, this is what you need to do. And quite honestly, if you leave these scripts the way they are, it's going to be over budget. So you <laughs> you need to make some changes and you need to do the like he really sat me down. Thankfully, before we started filming to make sure that, you know, I had some T's crossed and some I's dotted. And so, I mean, there's so many budgeting more. changes the writing, huh? It Yes. Quite honestly, I should. <laughs> all those. I had a hundred and something actors. It's an anthology series. So it was a different world each episode. So then, you know, you talk about the cast and the extras and this and the that. And it's like you have to figure out in the writing process based on your budget or like a, a, maybe a budget that you might have a proposed budget. How many locations are you going to have? How many casts are you going to have? You know, how many days and nights? All these things, cars and all everything costs money. VFX, special effects, what kind of post team, how many posts, how many editors, how many assistant editors. It's so many things that cost so much money, you know, and to make sure you have an idea that going into the writing process um, helps when especially if you're on like an independent level. Um, obviously, if you have Marvel, you you know, write whatever you want, shoot them up, bang, bang everywhere. But um, if you have those kind of checks, but if it's not, you know, be cognizant of that. You know, otherwise you're going to have to make some changes, you know, on the back end. Right. I, I was on a Writers Guild uh, stream. You know how they have like courses every now. They had one on showrunners recently that I watched. And I remember the guy saying he had to convince the actor to use like a vacuum cleaner in a scene. And the actor was like, I don't really understand. This doesn't please trust me. <laughs> and he was like, it's just going to save us a lot of money. So he had to try to convince them, you know, because actors, you know, that's the, the difference, right? Actors don't understand the full picture of that part of it. Do you ever have those moments where an actor where you have to go, listen, just please work with me on this. this um, is- well, uh, not so much with my, the actors that I work with, because we're friends and most of them, we were friends in real life and they understood what the endeavor, but with producers, you, the first thing, when you hear somebody tell you, we'll fix it in post, stop it. No, no, no. We're not going to fix anything in post. Whatever we have to do, we fix it now because that's what's going to cost you the most money. Oh, that's important. I was just like, you know, there's so many times where we could have saved money if we would have just put it on the screen versus like putting the green tape up and doing a green screen. Whatever needs to be on the screen, just put it up there. Whatever needs to be on the phone, just put it on the phone because having to go back and, and superimpose and put all those things in costs you time, money. And if it's VFX, it's going to cost you, you know, triple, double, thousands times what it would have been if you had simply just, you know, planned for it. 
and not had to deal with green screen or having to make all these changes or whatnot. So I think that to me was, and it's similar to that whole vacuum cleaning thing. Just do it now so that you don't have to do it later. Now, Noya, you're young, you're young star. We were listening to this. What I love like practical effects and I didn't realize that um, it was actually cheaper to do it that way because you watch things like Marvel and DC and they love using... Well, they got $2 million for VFX. Yeah. And it looks so bad. Right. Like, let's go back to like early Star Wars practical effects where they build puppets and they're just in the room because it looks so much better. I don't know. Yeah. 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 Because I, I remember along the way when... And mind you, this is a smaller budget. So when they had... We had talked... I talked to a VFX director and he was telling me just the VFX alone was going to be like $150,000 for a cut. I was like, oh, oh no, this, <laughs> we can't do that. I mean, and VFX is not, it's a small part of post-production in the grand scheme of things, because, you know, that has nothing to do with the coloring and the sound effects and sound design and music and editing. And so if that one little part costs that much money, like you have to, you know, start rethinking some things like, okay. What about music? I always want to put like whatever I want in a scene. <laughs> and then someone's like, you know, this is going to cost a lot of money if you introduce this song into the script. Mm -hmm. You First of all, you are better off having a composer make original music or there's, you know, free sites where you can just or the cheaper size where you can just buy the rights to it. Um, I know any song that's out with a rapper or singer or what have you is going to cost you so much money to get the rights for. And once you, and if you put it in there without having all the rights in place, um, you're just going to have to take it out on the back end because the network or whoever you're dealing with, once they, they're going to ask you for all of those legal deliverables, all of those contracts, all of those masters and clearances and all of these things from BMI or ASCAP or wherever. And if you don't have that, um, you're going to have to pull it anyway. What's an example of like, let's say I wanted to play, you know, everyone plays Marvin Gaye, you know, what's going on? What, how much would that, what's an example of how much that would cost? I'm going to guess and give you maybe 30. 30,000? 30, 30 what? 30, did you say 30 million? No, thousand. No, no, no. Oh, oh, okay. yeah. like, I, I'm <laughs> guessing. No, I'm, I'm, but I'm completely guessing because I don't mm -hmm. really um, know for sure because I never reached out to them. But yeah, it, it's somewhere to me between the 30 and 50 range, but it could be more. And, you know, they are going to want, you know, residuals and making sure they get paid on the back end if it, if it does well and all these things. So it's it's more than a notion to include those kind of artists. Um, thankfully, I'm in Atlanta, so there's so many talented musical artists here that are unknown, that own their own masters, um, because sometimes you got to get BMI and ASCAP, and that's so all of the the labels have to get involved too. So not only do you have to pay them, but you might have to make sure the label is taken care of. It's a hassle. So that's why I was like, New music, original music is for independent, for lower level um, or lower uh, budget projects. That's the best way to go. This is a good time to say that I also make beats and I, <laughs> I'm always advertising myself. I make beats 
uh, silly rap songs. And you, <laughs> you know, need I was, those kind of things, right? Because yes. the music to me is the fourth time that you tell the story. You say the first time is the writing, second time is filming, third time is editing. And then the fourth time is for me, the music, because the music makes the audience feel a certain way about the scene. And it, you know, can bring levity, it can bring um, sadness, whatever it is, but it can change the mood. And so, yeah, I love that. So come on, Sarah. How important is it to find the right staff and what lessons have you learned? See? Because <laughs> let me tell you, I know that this is one of the most important things to to create a harmonious working environment. Mm-hmm. Oh, listen, I feel like I need to pray before I start talking. Uh, I told you. <laughs> um, <laughs> when I tell you it can, it can sink your entire production, not having the right team, the right crew, the right cat, whatever it is you have, it's so important because you're getting into a marriage. Look at it that way. You're getting into a marriage for however long this is. And you have to finish out the duration of this relationship with this production team, with this crew, with this whatever. And you don't want it to be toxic. You don't want it to be um, chaotic. And so now I dealt with both of it. I dealt dealt with crew members and cast and and the team that I loved. And I dealt with people that I felt like were trying to sabotage me from the beginning. And so... It's so important to have people, not only that you trust, but that believe in the vision and want to make the vision happen more so than themselves, than put themselves on a pedestal. The ego. The ego can get into it. And that is, is more about this, the project. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about any individual person. It's about making sure that gets done. Because people say all the time, it's a miracle that any production ever finishes and gets to the TV because there's so many pitfalls and landmines along the way. And one of those major landmines is to make sure you have a team that is for the project and wants to see it win. Um And that starts with the vetting process in the very beginning. And I know sometimes we're eager to, you know, get to shooting or or start whatever we're doing. And so we don't necessarily take the time out to do as much vetting as we're supposed to. But it's so important. Make sure that you know these people and make sure that you get recommendations, not just from one or two people. If you can get them from 10, you know, that's even better. Know who you're getting into bed with. Know who you're getting to this relationship or this marriage with, because it can be a very bad divorce. I love that because a lot of people don't know. Like we're we're talking about women in these positions, oh. and the way men listen to us, or even the way other women listen to us. What is, ha, have you had any struggles with being a, a woman in charge? Absolutely, and not only being a woman, but being a first time in that position, I realized early on that sometimes they didn't, certain people didn't want to listen to whatever, I don't want to say command, to whatever direction I was given at the time. And a a director friend of mine told me before we started filming, he made, he said, you know, you're going to have to kick over the table one day. You know, you're going to have to throw the umbrella. And this is what a metaphor that he used. So you're going to have to stand up 
and and show them because it's going to be some pushback because that's just what happens. It happens with the men too, but more so with women. And so I remember the day that I was like, listen, it isn't, I don't care who said what. I am the showrunner. This is what we have to do. And just stand in it. And I remember a podcast I listened to from Courtney Kemp and she was talking about the power of no and how women need to make sure we have the power of no and to stand in that and not offer an explanation or excuses or all these disclaimers. It's no, it's that, and that's it. And be okay with saying no and then turning the page, saying no and then walking away, saying no and then we're moving on. How you say no too, right? Right. Yeah, then now that's the thing because the tone, especially with black women, it's like they take <laughs> they take it all personal. Like it's because no could be uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> like, I can't even say no without someone getting offended. Like, what is happening? Mm-hmm. Right. But if a guy said no in the same tone, in the same this, yes. in the same that, it wouldn't be a problem. Right. Yeah, I love Courtney then, Camp. I oh my too. goodness. Oh, all right. And then being new <laughs> at it, being the being uh, um, you know new at being a showrunner, the, the the Hollywood is all based on having some type of experience or faith, but they've never given black women that that chance to even get into these positions. So now we have to baptism by fire, right? Absolutely, and. It's, it's almost like now there is a, a renewed push for black women to be in these positions as directors and producers and showrunners and writers, but it's still not enough, right? It's these little pockets here and there, but we need to be in charge of our own story. And once we get into those positions, like I said, don't persecute the woman that's up there. And I look at, and I'm just going to segue one really quickly. I look at some of the the um, articles about the woman king and how, oh, it's not historically factual. Are these not fictional characters? <laughs> Was it so... <laughs> it's not a, a Harriet Tubman movie. You know what I'm saying? Well, those are the woman, the, the main character is not, I p- believe is a real character, isn't she? It's 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 based on a true story, but it's not like yeah, mm-hmm. yes, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, because you're not going to have the exact you know factual set of occurrences that happen because there was they don't have a, a full written history of these people. We have some of it, like we know about the Dohemians, we know about these women, but we don't know like you know exactly how each person talked, walked, and we have more information about Harriet Tubman, obviously. And so I think. To look at it is it has to be this super, you know, accurate historical depiction. It's not supposed to be that. It's supposed to be her interpretation of what was going on. I loved it. Oh, you oh, you saw I haven't seen it yet. I'm so glad you said that because I I will be honest, I was a little bit set back when I saw I I did some deep diving into the I look, I don't even know the name of the tribe and you said it so well. What is the name of the Dohemi? Dohemi tribe. So I saw like some, you know, I went in on because all those articles were coming out and I was like, it's not the true story. What? I thought we were fighting for our own stories. I thought we were fighting for accuracy. I thought we were talking about CRT. I thought we were going to the classroom and making sure people. But then I was just like, well, wait a minute. Let's just take a moment here and think about the history of Hollywood and how many stories have always been done in this way. Why are we attacking 
you know, I do understand the sensitivity to it because it's about slavery and slave trade, you right. know? Um, so that part of it in colonialism. And I, you know, I always remember my mother looking at me and going, you know, we sold ourselves too, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, and, and so part of my artistic part, part of my writing artistic part was like, would it have hurt to just like kind of, you know, put it in there? Would It kind of would have been kind of cool. Oh, it's in there. Oh, it is. Oh, yeah. There oh, we are selling each other in, in the movie. It's in there. <laughs> and that's what blew, that's what kind of threw me out. Because I was like, that it is Africans selling each other in the movie. Okay. And yeah. in for Viola's, her particular character, she is against it, but it is still happening. And that's what the thing. And, and even her tribe is doing it, but in her, her fictional character is against it. And what people don't understand a lot of the time, too. So I saw the trailers of this movie and I immediately was like, oh, yeah, things like this happen all over the continent. It wasn't just this one tribe. There were fem- there were uh, matriarchal tribes everywhere before uh, colonialism and even during it. But also there were a lot of tribes that were against slavery. My tribe, the, the Kalabari tribe in Nigeria, we had a we had a um, treaty with the Portuguese that begged them not to take people in the night. Like there are a lot of, and there are 250 plus tribes in Nigeria. So it's like, it's so, when I hear the critiques of the woman king, I'm just like, oh, this just shows how little the Western world knows about Africa. (laughs) It just, the critiques make no sense to me just because this is my history. This is my family's history. I know what it is. But, um, But I also understand that People in America, people in Europe are not taught the true history because they're told that it wasn't written down. But really, it's it's not conducive to West the Western world for people to know the full history. You know, there's so many. Uh, yeah, the critiques of the woman king. The conversation heart. around it is great. Yeah. I mean, the fact that I even took a deep dive into it is great. It made me look into it more, look into something that I, I'm ignorant of, actually. Um, TV says, what movie based on history is perfectly accurate? Sounds like Woman King is being held to a higher bar than other movies. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. And if you look at, what's the movie that... Um, Elizabeth, that's super fake. Right. Uh, I was <laughs> thinking, what's what's his name that did Kill Bill? Um Oh, Quentin Tarantino. The one he did about the Holocaust. Tarantino. That was like a fictional depiction of what the Holocaust. None of it actually really happened. Oh, you're right. Tarantino did do that. So it happens all the time in Hollywood. That's why I didn't understand why they were, like you said, trying to hold it to this higher standard of, oh, it has to be this accurate. No, it. It's, and they did show these tribes selling each other. It just wasn't in the way that you wanted it to be shown. So right. I, that's what... Yeah, I think the way. other part is that the the co-creators are both white too. So it's, you know, we were we were talking about we need to tell our own stories, and then we see two white women, but it's like, uh, I mean, I, I mean, yeah, the face of that is not great, right? Yeah. But I'm sure the writers' room but had Tarantino, to be filled. Tarantino's a good example though, because he did um, the one about. Yeah, what is the one about the Holocaust called? That's the one I was. Um, yeah. I can't remember what it's called. That's the one I was TV, talking can you about. Tell though. us what's the what's that movie? If you get it, 
type it in with Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio yeah. and mm-hmm. uh, no, well he was in Django. He was in Django. Was it, wasn't he in both but of them? But they oh, were let sister me films. This. Yeah, we got to figure out. The I name feel like this. he was in both. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of it's um something imperfect people or something like that. I, f- I forget the. I name remember there it. was a. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Look, I just came out. I said, "Imperfect people." Um, I don't. What I finally it watched it. That was the fun. It took me a long oh, time to watch. Inglorious bastards. Inglorious bastards. That's Bro, what it was. Imperfect yes. people. Inglorious. In yeah, honestly, it is. It is. Right. Inglorious bastards. and Django Unchained were the same movie. They were just one was about slavery. One was about the Holocaust. And. There are similar oh, critiques. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And there are similar critiques of like Django, like uh Woman King is being critiqued just because it had black people in it. They're like, oh, Quentin shouldn't tell this story. This isn't his story to tell. I'm like, he just did a story about about the Holocaust. He's not Jewish. Not Nobody at all. complained about that. Nobody what's going did. on? <laughs> and it was lauded and won all these awards and glorious bastards. So that's that's to me, it was so hypocritical. Cause I remember that movie. I've seen it several times. I was like, how is this any different than The Woman King? <laughs> Same thing. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, Covenant is obviously religion. Do you get any feedback on that? or And you seem like a spiritual person. I was looking at your Instagram. You seem very, you know, like it's such a good... There's so many stories. So what... What inspired Covenant? I wanted to create something that you didn't have to have grown up in the church. I I grew up in the church, but you didn't have to have that background to appreciate what the stories were. Right. I wanted to take something, take these stories that were from the Bible and drop them into like modern day times, modern day circumstances, everything that we're going through today and see how that would look. But I also wanted it to be in a way where it wasn't like I'm trying to thrust, you know, the, the Bible at you and all the verses. And because I wanted it to not only attract people, you know, that were into the church, but also people that had never been to church a day in their life and, you know, just wanted to see a great story and show them, you know, the power of these stories. So that's one thing I, I love about the series that you don't have to know these stories. You don't have to be religious. You don't have to be involved at all. And if you are, it's, if you do know the stories, it's fun to see or guess like which ones they're based off of, but it's not about, you know, just appealing to one crowd because a lot of the subject matter, like the first episode deals with infertility and um, the second episode deals with a virus, the pandemic and the third generational curses and me too um, and to a degree. And then the last one, racial tensions and, you know, oppression and, and the QAnon, all of that, it gets into it and it goes dangerously dark, like right on the edge of it. And I know, so I got feedback from both sides um, saying, you know, that they loved it. Some religious people said they didn't like I'm some bad. of the cursing in it. And it, my mom included was like, what do we have to do? <laughs> Why? Why we had to have the curse words? I was like, it's just you know, it's not that many, but it's real life, right? And then, as far as other people, especially the last episode, because it is a bit dark, they were like, "Oh, this is too dark. This is too much." But I'm like, "This is what's really happening. 
this is what's going on in those chat rooms. This is what's going on with the Proud Boys and, and you know, the QAnon phenomenon and the MAGA. So it was, I think it was a, a d- true depiction of real life in a narrative form. And that's what I love about it. I cannot wait to watch. I think that's really needed today. I think the world needs love and I think the world needs realism in religion too. I grew up with introduced to religion through my grandmother only. Only when I would go to my grandmother's house would I go to church. And I think about that foundation. If I didn't have it, where would I be? And I feel like there's so many people that are lost right now. And we keep, I I just look at communities now where they don't go to church. They don't physically go in like they used to. And there needs to be something there to, at least I know that's, it's not like we need to attract people to go back to the church through your through the covenant, but I do feel in some sense it reaches out in a very real way because a lot of people, you know, don't want to like wear a dress to go to church or they feel like church is, is old school in the way that it does it. And how do you reach people in these conversations? So I think this is amazing. Yeah. And, and that's so great that you pointed that out. It is a vessel to try and, and reach those that you know, may not have been interested in a day in their life. And it's not something where I'm trying to thrust it on you. Just, you know, a lot of the stories, they have some some great principles and stuff that we can talk about and learn from. And I want it to be like a discussion piece more so than, you know, I'm trying to force you to think this way or that way. And everyone looks so good, by the way. I'm like, oh, my God, everyone is beautiful. I was like, these are some beautiful. I was like, I need to go to Atlanta just to walk around and just look at some people. Everything that's based in Atlanta, everyone's so good looking. I was like, that's where I was supposed to live, I think. You should come on (laughs) out because most of the cast, and that's one thing I was adamant about, that they are from here. They live here. You know, I didn't want to fly out the entire cast because I felt like we had some amazing talent. In Atlanta, I mean, but obviously I flew out Mr. Phil Morris because he's a legend um, and a couple more people. But it was, you know, I love that cast because they gave their all, you know, they loved the scripts and they were like, you know what, I'm here for you. And they were all utterly amazing. I couldn't have asked for, you know, a better, more dedicated cast. So, yeah, come on out to Atlanta. We are popping over here. Yes. I have to work on my hair, I, I think. I, <laughs> no. Everyone, like real, everyone looks good. They got it together. So I got to get it together. Oh, you, just need, you just need a little lineup. I can help you with that. Yes. <laughs> and you know, this is the hair capital. We got you yes. covered. <laughs> okay. I wouldn't be okay. I wouldn't even be okay with this wig. I'd have to bring out my special wig. Listen, <laughs> I got about 10 in the closet. I got you. We got to switch so, it up. What is it? So I'm assuming you've worked directly with Tyler Perry, mm-hmm. who I'm a huge fan of. I, I love Tyler Perry. What is it like working with him? It's something I never expected. It was a blessing I never expected. But it's also so different than everything else I've ever done. This man is such a great businessman and he's a, a genius in many ways. And his shooting style the way he gets it done is different than every other director, movie set, TV set that I've worked on. But it all makes sense because the way he shoots and we get it done so quickly, it 
allows you to do more so that you can bring more projects in, more actors in, more uh, cast and crew in and, and do more at that studio. And I'll say this, if you do a Tyler Perry project, you'll be set up to do anything else because he gives you the training. You have to learn so much. It's sort of like going to boot camp in a way. You learn so much and you do so much and you're able to overcome so much because of the way he shoots. So you feel comfortable on every other set, if that makes sense. Yes, yes, it does. But it's um, because sometimes we do 100 pages a day. Now, Mm -hmm. to make that relative, most shows do 10 to 12. Okay, yes, yes. Movie sets do 8 to 10. 100. So where do you get the lunch break? Where's that at? I mean, you get a lunch break. <laughs> you get a lunch break, but you better you better know your stuff. And you know he pushes us to be better in every other situation, and that's why I appreciate it. And, and I love that you know he gave us all this opportunity to really spread our wings when you know a lot of producers and whatnot don't cast as many actors as he does. Right. You know he gives a lot of unknown people a chance, and so. You know, I had the utmost respect. Wow. No, yeah, you look like you had something to say. Go ahead. Oh, no, it was a while ago. I was talking, I don't even remember now. It was something about the religious part. <laughs> Can I go back? Can I go back and topic? Oh, okay. I was going to say, I grew up in the church too. Um, I grew up Catholic and I'm no longer a member of the church. I got confirmed and all that. But I think it's important to at least know the stories because they're philosophy, if you think about it, right? It's just, it's just another form of literature and philosophy. Um, no matter how you view the Bible, there's, there's stories of morality. Uh, some of them are just like fun, scary stories that teach you something too. <laughs> so I'm excited to watch your show too, because it sounds like Bible Black Mirror. Am it I is, right? it is, it is um, <laughs> uh, Black Mirror meets the Bible. It is. And, and honestly, there's so many cautionary situations and stories in the, and there's a plethora of them. And so in the Bible, so it, it was great to bring them into modern day times because, you know, most people aren't cracking open their Bible to, to check out, you know, what happened with Saul when he became Paul or, you know, all those great stories. So I'm glad that, you know, I was given the opportunity because I didn't think they were going to choose this. I pitched like six other things. This was the only like faith-based one. Wow. This gives me hope because Marina, you know, I have that faith-based cartoon that I've been trying to pitch to people. Oh, yeah. It's a little crass, though. It's more like South Park. (laughs) (laughs) Now, listen, take out the curse word. Just take out the curse word. Right, because the real thing is going to come for it. No, I'm joking. (laughs) Well, how did you deal with, we always talk about the moments where you succeed, but how did you deal with the rejection when it was, you were pitching the other shows and you were like, this is it. And it, how did you, how did you handle that? Oh, I think with this business, you have to gain such a tough skin. Because as an actor, right, we go through thousands of auditions and it's a thousand no's, right? And then as a writer, I got into this other side of the business and then it was no's and, and as a producer it was no's. And now I felt like once I had built up enough of a tough skin and a shell, I can go in the room and truly say, like, this is your loss if you don't pick this up. Now, it was hard along the way. I was depressed. Oh, it was hard along the way. You know, there's some times where you feel depressed or you feel like, am I in this for the right business? But that's when, or the right reasons, but that's when you really need to 
take stock and sometimes do your own projects. I did two short films of my own with my own money before I did those. And those are the things that got me in the room. So if you do get the nose, you know, people out there, keep, do your own thing. Don't let any studio, any network, any producer, any executive, like you don't need their validation for you to be a storyteller, for you to be a writer, for you to be a showrunner. Do your own, do it yourself, get it out there. There's so many platforms that you can use now, whether it's, you know, Amazon or Tubi or Break TV or this or that. There's a million different ways to get your content out there. And in fact, I'm going to do another independent project because I want to experience getting a feature film out there and taking it through like the same processes that like a moonlight went through because you don't want to nice. wait for a studio to give you the green light. Forget them. Do it yourself. Now take That's the right. classes, <laughs> learn what you're doing, whether it's writing or directing or whatever, you know, learn how to do it, but also do it. Don't wait on a validation from anyone. And so I think all the no's, made me feel like, okay, I'm not waiting on anybody else. I'm going to get out here and do it. And if you tell me no, I'm going to take it somewhere else and it's going to be your loss. Yeah, it's a hard thing with selling shows. I, I, I know I'm in the middle of that right now. And it's it's the hardest thing to try to pre- prepare my mental for if, because, you know, you always want to go, don't think, no, don't think that they're going to reject it. But then I'm like, but mentally prepare yourself if they do reject it. It's a hard meditation. Do you know what I'm saying? Because it's like, every, it's like you got to believe it's going to happen. And I'm like, but if it doesn't, what type of depression will I go into? And can I prevent that too? So I'm always it's like, what would you say? Well, do you just keep, you know, preparing other projects in the meantime? It's okay. It depends on what area you're going. If you're strictly TV, that's one thing because you can't, it doesn't make sense to shoot a pilot. If you're going to shoot anything, you need to shoot the whole season. Um, and then that makes it more sellable um, to networks, whether it's, you know, lower level, like a bounce or I don't say lower level, but whether it's, um, broadcast like a bounce or somewhere or a Hulu or whatnot, you have more to sell if you have a full series. That's really expensive, right? So then look at the film industry. Do I need to do a feature film, which is easier to sell and easier to package because it's this complete entity and it'll be cheaper for you to shoot. And so that's why I say, if you do get, however many no's that you say is enough no's, you know, for someone, it might be five, someone else, it might be 30. Once you get to that point where you feel like you're getting these no's and they don't understand your vision, find some way to do it yourself, whether that's in short film form, whether that's in feature film form, like I said, TV is different. I wouldn't even bother with it unless you're going to do a full season. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't really, is it true they don't really do pilots anymore? No, that's why I was like, don't shoot a pilot. It doesn't make sense. You know, it's such a long process. It you is. think yes. you get, you know, you get excited about selling a show and someone said, tell everyone you sold it. And I was like, I don't, but why? And then I was like, and then someone said this, just celebrate the moments that you do yeah. achieve in the moment that you're in. Yes. Yeah. Because it's so hard. Like we, someone was, um, we were talking, I think the current episode that's out 
probably when this goes out a couple of weeks ago when the Emmys, right? And we were talking about um, Abbott Elementary and uh, what's the winner? Quinta. Quinta, yes. And how that moment, how hard it was for her to actually, like you said, to get something done. Mm -hmm. Like we look at it as, you know, TV when she's getting that award, like Jimmy Kimmel doesn't understand the gravity of, mm, of right. that moment for her. Take me through that when, when she won, what that, did that mean something for you? What, did you watch that? Absolutely. Cause I look at Quinta and I look at Issa Ray and I look at these Courtney Kemp and I look at these women Shonda and Marbury, I don't feel like I got and a Cheryl name Lee Ralph, Ralph, yes. Ralph, and I don't want to leave anyone out that are making such great strides in this business. Kerry Washington is one of them too. And it's like, you know, the journey, you know, the fight that it took, then the a thousand no's and the doors closing and how they had to find a window to open. And so to get it out there and then to see someone in in many ways, I know it wasn't intentional, but try to kind of cheapen the moment. This was huge for her as a young black woman to have her own show on a major network, a major platform that the viewership, you know, tripled and doubled and quadrupled, you know, after its release, that is huge. And it makes a difference because it gives other women more opportunity. Yes. And so that's why I was so emotionally um, um, invested in her, in her journey, in her path. And I want to see her and many others after her win. Because this is the thing, it can't just be one of us. No. Can't be two, it can't be three. Yeah, it has to be so many so that we can all have, you know, more opportunities. So I love it. I was just glad that it's good too. Mm -hmm. Because I... Oh, it's a great show. I'm going to be... I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes I worry um, about things getting awards, even when they're black and it's not good enough. And I know that we never have that story, right? Like I always feel like, I always forget to say this at the end of my comedy routine. I always want to say, if I was just okay, then that's progress. And (laughs) (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Cause we don't get that. We don't get to be just okay. No, we don't. We don't get to like gradually get better over time. Whereas, you know, I think I have the statistics in here about how white women get these jobs most often and they get to get better. Exactly. They get it when they're not as experienced. We really have always had to be there at the table in these positions, very good at it when we get and when we don't, we get looked at with a different eye. But I find this just you know, so incredible that this is actually a show that I really genuinely like too. Mm-hmm. And I'm so happy for it. Yeah. So, the anyway. writing, the casting, everything is great about this show and they've done such a good job with it. And that's why I can't wait to see the next season and to see her soar because it only opens the door, you know, for more of us too. And that's what we have to be cognizant of once we get a platform. Because there's so many things that I have come in down the pipeline. I want other people to come up with me, other women, other black women, other writers, other producers, other directors, because it can only help if it's more of us. That's true. I was going to say before, it, you know, it's bad when you can count how many of us have won these awards, too. Like you can count like Michaela Cole, you can count all of them. 
you know, Issa didn't even win an award no, she, for insecurity. I had Googled that too did she win before it? the recording. I don't even remember. Not for not for writing, did she? If no, she, did she didn't win, win for writing. Yeah, I, I think, I think it was it's for just, editing. For editing, yeah. Michaela Cole won for writing, but not until her more serious work. She didn't win for her comedy work. I don't think. Maybe she won a BAFTA for chewing gum. I'm not sure. Right. Well, it says here, black women have always been working at Hollywood behind the scenes, and now they're creating their own hit shows more and more often. In 2011, racial minorities created 4%, 7%, and 6% of broadcast cable and digital shows, respectively. By 2020, those numbers climbed to 10%, 21%, and 15%. It's common for white writers to advance their career faster than any other group, according to a report. It's found that 81% of upper-level white writers with no management experience are hired to show run their projects, compared to 67% of racial minorities with management experience. To combat these disparities, Black readers are forming their own talent pipeline, one of which is Black Women Who Brunch, the networking group for Black female TV writers formed by Lena Waithe and a few others, grew from 12 people at its initial meeting to almost 200 members. Now, are you a part of any group or pipeline i am here in atlanta the, the brunches i don't but listen why did i write that down I was like black women because i want to go to some brunch. of these me too i do <laughs> invite me <laughs> listen I, i'm gonna look it up now because i am involved with women in film and television atlanta you know here i'm involved with the fulton county film commission and with like things that atlanta is doing for the film industry but obviously i need to branch out more and so this is it's on my list, as Jennifer Lewis would say. So, yeah, I, I love this. I think it needs to be more of that, of creating our own pipeline for our talented writers, actors, producers, directors to get ahead. So I also think that, like, I'm glad that we're doing this. I'm glad we're going to the brunch. I'm glad we're talking. I'm glad. I think the most important thing also is to keep it real about that creating really good work environments while we're doing it so that we don't have, let's be real, you know, some of these, and I know, I'm not going to say any names, but I know some, you know, we get into these positions and we forget how to be nice to one another. So I think we have to keep that in the conversation as well and not be so polite about it. You know what I mean? Like, we, we, we got to be honest about those that get into these positions and don't help others and hold them up the right way we got it we got to keep that so that it's not a you know the crabs in the barrel mentality is still out there and we have to you know as a black community i i'm just gonna say this we have to not be so uncomfortable about putting it out there and that is honestly because we get so scared that we're gonna get blackballed if we tell the truth about it you know yeah and it's understandable and and I will say this, and as a leader and having to be in that position, one thing I know for sure is that your mood, whether you're the producer or the showrunner or the what have you, can change the entire mood of the set. Your attitude, you know, your energy. And once you realize, once I realized that, I made it my business to, A, you need to respect everybody. If you're going to command respect, you have to give respect. And a lot of people don't get that. 
And that's the only reason I was able to survive being as, as naive as I was coming into it is because I made sure to respect every single person from the production team down to, you know, the PA, because if you do have that level of respect for them, they're going to return it tenfold. And there's going to be a loyalty to you too, that you're going to need throughout the process. It's only going to make people want to work for you and work harder for you if you have that. Um, so I do think as as leaders, whoever is out there, if you're getting into management and about to run a show or run a production, your mood, your attitude, the way you treat people, it determines the entire set and how it runs and be cognizant of that. I think we could learn a lot from Apple in a way, the way they have those motivational, we're going to do it. And everyone's like, Woo! <laughs> <laughs> my, I, one of my, one of my exes, he used to tell me that he would go in and they would do that. Woo. And they would clap and they would be like, yeah, we're, we're a part of the team. <laughs> and, you know, we got stock in the company. And I think that is why they are an ex- a successful company. True. I'm so not bubbly. So that wouldn't. <laughs> I'm like, listen. <laughs> Can we well, whatever works? Whatever works for you. There's no such thing as, as being too bubbly, though. I know I annoy people. Like I walk in, people are just like, ugh. No. <laughs> I can't see that at all. TB says a lot off times you can tell the people in a movie we're having a good time. Yeah. It makes watching so much better. Mm-hmm. So um, the chemistry, see, everything. Now on a different subject. Oh, okay. We all love Noye. He's saying TV. Oh, saying that. thank you, TV. I, I know I put in this little gossipy thing with Lisa Ray and a couple of gossipy things, but I do find the only reason I put this in is because I tapped into something in the way I was feeling about mm-hmm. friends who take photos and don't care about how, how everyone else. So Lisa Ray, Ray McCoy left fans confused as she seemingly attempted to celebrate her birthday in style via her Instagram photos. A 55 year old wore, she's amazing looking, wore a metallic white dress. She likes wearing white and posed while the guests appeared in an unflattering ways behind her. You know, they're all like not ready for the photo. I am guilty of this, by the way. I have a couple of times zoomed in on myself and gone, it's a great picture. And then I post it. <laughs> so listen, if I, and my friends know this, if you take a picture of me and you don't let me look at it and then you post it, you could be cut off. <laughs> I mean, no, I'm joking, but it's, but I will text you you and say, take it down. Um, (laughs) If I don't, if I didn't approve of it first, if it's just, you know, a terrible picture, that's one. And then two, if you give me your phone and let me look at them and I don't like it, I am known to delete pictures out of people's phones. So now my friends won't even let me hold their phone. They're like, no, I'm going to give you the phone because you'll delete it. You're gorgeous. So I can't even see it like a bad photo. I hate taking pictures. I have a friend who, this is why I, I also put this in and annoy you. I want you to go because I can see you ready. Because <laughs> um, I had a friend this weekend take a picture. She's been taking pictures of me without me telling her, giving her permission to take the photo. And then I have said to her several times, please don't take a picture of me right now. I don't, I've put on some weight and I don't want to see myself right now. I want to just don't take the picture. And she'll still take the picture. And then she sent them to me and I said, okay, t- don't, no more pictures. And she and it became about her. 
She's like, oh my God, I was just, I, I'm so sorry, you know, and I, and then she wanted me to go, oh, I don't want to make you feel bad. But I just said, yeah, just don't do it. You know, you let pe- I let people sit in the awkwardness. Sit in it. The power of no. And that's it. Oh, I was just going to say, people stay taking like terrible photos of me. It's crazy. And like when I'm prepared, the photos are amazing. But like when I'm not prepared, they're so bad. And I'm just, I'm so used to it now that I'm just like, whatever, it's okay. And I feel like some people do it on purpose, like out of spite too. Mm. Like way back, yes, way back when in my senior yearbook, I don't own my senior yearbook from high school because one of my ex friends was the editor and she put in like a bunch of busted photos of me. Oh no. See? Yes. And me being like one of like five black people in the whole school, I took it as like a racial thing too. It was like a whole thing. I was like, I refuse to buy a yearbook. I'm not going to buy a yearbook because you did that on purpose. Mm-hmm. And you just wanted me to look, but look at all these pictures where I look amazing. You just put double the photos of me in the yearbook. I was in a That's lot of clubs. So <laughs> true. You know, the so. racial factor of photos is also the one who I'm talking about who takes this picture. She's, she's white. Right. So if I take a picture of us, she's like, she'll like get all extra. Cause she'll like, if it's with a bunch of black people, she'll be like, but I'll show up so white. And I go, oh, now you're concerned. Exactly. A lot of, and you know, Marina, a lot of comedy photographers, a lot of them are amazing, but some of them don't readjust when we're on stage Mm -hmm. after a white person is on stage. So we look like very like washed out and all this other stuff. And the lighting is so important. And yes, listen, I know that from TV to film to just regular photo shoots. Like, What what are we doing here? The fluorescent won't work. Now, Issa Rae got, I think that's what she received a, an award for because the lighting, I, I believe. She she light, so she I, didn't receive did she? any Emmys for Insecure, but she won uh, NWACP awards and things oh, okay. like that. Yeah. But no, none for Insecure. I was just looking at a, which is crazy. Not mm-hmm. one. And she's nominated. It looked like she's nominated like 12 times. And she didn't win any of them. Mm. Well, award shows are so systemic anyway, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, it's about the, a lot of things in Hollywood are about who you know, but that's all I'm going to say yeah, on that. It is. It's so, I, I get that totally. Um, but, you know, I was, what I didn't like is that they changed the daytime Emmys rules because I was going to submit uh, Covenant for daytime Emmys because they that's, they do the streaming and the soap operas and all of that. But then they switched it and said, you have to submit to primetime because it is the format is of a primetime show. And I was like, okay, then that's going to be a waste of time. No one's, <laughs> because you have to have a certain amount of viewership. It has to be in a different scale to even compete. So then that's just a money grab at that point. So I was like, okay, I'll sit down. Daytime Mimi's had a little bit of a chance because it's yes. a very, it's, it's a much different landscape. But so that's what these award shows are, are tricky. Yeah. I'm amazed that their general hospital is still on when I see it. Days of our lives. When I watched General Hospital, I'm like, I've watched them since. And well, all my children was my show, but General Hospital, I'm like, you still on? Is it called General? It's not, is it? called General Hospital? Yes, still? I think it is. And yeah. I see some of the actors in there and I'm like, wow. They've been on there for 30 years. Ch- They've been, <laughs> listen, there's a steady check. They are not going anywhere. I, I grew up watching uh, Young and the Restless, which had already been on for like 50 years when I was a kid. And that's how I was introduced to like Shamar Moore, like all these people. Because they started, even um that little kid from The Sixth Sense, he started on Young and the Restless. He was like did five he? years old. Yes. 
crazy. That's is that amazing? Yes. Mm-hmm. And they're still pumping. What I want to do too is another um, primetime soap opera. So that's on the list, but I actually want it to be on, you know, either broadcast or cable. So I have some things coming. Maybe Fox, the new empire, maybe. Ooh. I love them. But, you know, that's what I do have a show about a media family. Well, she's multi-talented. She's got a lot of projects I'm, I'm just, on the fire. I'm just trying to get with the right people and get this thing going. So, yeah, you got you to gotta have it all. And that's one thing as a writer, they're always like, you can't, you got to have your next thing and the next thing. You can't focus on, you know, just that show. Even though I'm writing season two, I got to have eight other things. Yeah, that's what keeps you from the depression. Like I was saying earlier, you can't just have one project, one pot on the fire. You got to have a bunch of just to cushion the fall. Right. (laughs) It's like with stocks, right? Like diversifying your portfolio. And and honestly, stocks have taught. I'm going to tell you this, Jim, too. I'm trying to once I saw the, the career path that Reese Witherspoon went on. You know, she was able to sell Hello Sunshine for 900 million. Whoa. Which is what is Hello Sunshine? What is that? It's her production company. And so Whoa. she was able to do several different shows with different networks. So whether it was Hulu, um, with the Little Fires Everywhere and HBO with um Pretty Little Lies, I think it was. And then she had some the morning show on Apple. Like there were all these different shows and films that she was doing um simultaneously. And she got her uh concepts from books. She bought the book rights um to a lot of these projects and then she's still like the president of the company or something like that but she was able to sell it for that much and so when you look at that as a model to see okay there is a lot of money in this not just a lot of money but there's you're doing it all for the right reasons as far as wanting to put these stories out there but there's an opportunity for a lot of success um if there's a certain path that you follow. I'm so glad you you brought her up as an example of someone you should look at and as an, you know, just to study. Like a lot of times we talk about, you know, you know, doing it, but how to do it, right, is by reading up on people who've already done it. Exactly. Well, we're still a work in progress. We're getting there, though. (laughs) But no, this is why we have you on so that we inspire, you know, many out there who are listening are going to really feel inspired by this we have so much negativity in the mm-hmm. news like i was I, I, we have this story about the little mermaid and i almost oh. hesitate about talking about the racial you know mm-hmm. what's happening to is it's hallie bailey mm-hmm. yeah and the little mermaid you know the attacks i don't know why at some point we focused on the attacks and not focused on the beauty of this like we we saw the trend of on tiktok i believe and on instagram of of children of color seeing that and crying and going, oh my God, she looks like Mm -hmm. me. And that should have just kept going. That's it. We shouldn't have focused on the negativity because we gave it legs. Yes, we gave it legs. And it's it's going to be such a beautiful, from the clips that I've seen, it's going to be such a beautiful movie. And to give the naysayers a a platform to me, I think it's, you know, it's a waste of time. Yes, it is. 
The upcoming Little Mermaid film starring Hallie, Hallie, I almost want to say Holly Berry, Holly Bailey as Ariel has made parents and children ecstatic to see themselves represented in the Disney world. On social media, parents have been sharing their children's wholesome reactions to seeing the black actress as the Little Mermaid. Though the buzz of the new actress has sparked a lot of positive reactions, Mm -hmm. many racist and negative comments have also surfaced, such as on the YouTube trailer claiming Disney was ruining a classic film and mermaids couldn't be black. University of Toronto professor Lauren McLeod Kramer focuses much of her work on the aesthetics of blackness in popular culture. Racism that continues to surround films and shows which integrate diverse characters continue to be perpetually interesting topics, she said. But yeah, again, why focus? That's what the only reason I, I had, well, one of my assistants put it in there, but I kept seeing like different comics posting about it and I'm like, you're, yeah, like you said, you're giving it legs when yeah, it doesn't need to have legs. Yeah, they were all giving it attention because that's what they want too. Let's let's take away from how beautiful this is about to be, how big it's about to be, and, and put all this negativity out there. Like, no, forget y'all. Hallie is going to be amazing. We needed to see this. It's a freaking cartoon. That's what the same thing with the Woman King. It's not supposed to be this, you know. meticulous, accurate depiction of what happened is supposed to have some element of fiction to it. So it's just, no, I refuse. Go ahead, Harry. It was so interesting watching all the historians, like actual historians come out on Twitter to be like, listen, black people have always existed. They were in medieval times. They were everywhere. They're in Scandinavia and just basically calling people racist and uneducated over this. I'm like, that's great that you took the time, but we also like just should ignore these people. Mm-hmm. You should just ignore them. The meme about slavery and the boats and that did you see that one? No. Like, they oh threw us over the why oh. could we be a mermaid? Oh my god. <laughs> people took it very serious. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and I remember someone white was like, they threw you over the Oh my god, that went to a whole other thing. That I sounds like something on black Twitter. Yeah. It was. Yeah. <laughs> it's too much. But yes. <laughs> But you know what? Historian Twitter got just as deep as that. It was like crazy. I was like, first of all, how did I stumble like into historian Twitter? Like I've been looking at too many of these responses, but like they were getting really upset. They're like, people need to know history. Black people have always existed. We all came from black people. And these are like white men, like screaming about this on Twitter. They're like, I'm so mad at these racists. I'm like, well, then just let's just stop talking about it and move on People were, yeah let's stop yeah. like Game of Thrones same thing mm-hmm. however I will say this and I watch Game of Thrones get the hair right so, oh, the I hair. mean like the oh. hair bugs <laughs> it was bad oh my god that's how you like, know no black people worked on production because we, we would have never okayed wigs like that that is insane. When I tell you, I would have gotten to the point where I had my got to be in my flat and my hot comb. And I would have been like, sis, look, we're going to put up this YouTube video. You and I are going to do this together. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because this is not going to work for me. The Ugh. hair is such a problem. It's it's a I don't have a problem. It's, it's, it's like, come on, Game of Thrones. And then... I'm not, no spoiler alert, but there was one scene last night that I was like, no. And I saw, and they always do like a little like explanation. Yeah. After on HBO Max, they do an explanation of how they did one scene versus another. And I was like, not buying it. Sorry. Not buying it. 
you need some black people. They need some black people in that room. I'm, I I don't know for sure, but I, I could tell. You can always tell when we're not mm-hmm. in the room. Yes. Yes, you can. Those wigs are awful. Yeah. They're terrible. I, I cannot it. look at that brother with the <laughs> in, last night, w- in last night's episode, at least the, there was a character where, you know, they had jumped 10 years and at least her wig looked like something you might buy at a store. <laughs> one, she was one of, she was one of the ones. Yeah, just one. Just, but there were, yeah. If you're going to have so many black characters, oh my God, please get a black stylist in there. Oh my gosh. I need you to wanna, watch this uh, new Game of Thrones. I haven't seen the um, the prequel. Okay. Because I watched the, the original. Yes. The well, this is actually a prequel of that. Okay. So you, it's fine. You can watch it without knowing anything okay. about yeah, yeah. And I get into it because fantasy is one of my um, favorite genres as far as film and TV. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to check this yeah, out. Yeah, it's, it's good. It's just, I don't know what the, what happens to their minds when it comes to us. I don't mm-hmm. know. And they know it doesn't like, look we good. Don't, they know it. You know it doesn't look good. Yep. I mean, there's a way to do like a blonde hairstyle on a black person with that. It, and let's not get into it, the makeup too like if they don't have all the colors i started showing up on sets like with the full foundation everything already done because guess who's not playing today exactly mm-hmm. oh oh i have a story like i had a woman for a scene that i did years ago on jim gaffigan's pilot the first was it the first one or was the second i think it was the i did i had done the pilot and the first one didn't go and then they recast me in the second one that did go the first one that they did my makeup the second one this makeup art person for whatever reason now i was a playing i was working with the chancellor in a catholic school right and the makeup artist a white woman refused to do any makeup on me and i knew i said i, I have to look good on camera so they know I test like I need to test well and she would not put she now, said what was the reason she said because it's a religious school you're like I said I'm not a nun but, uh, okay so they can put natural makeup on she put exactly nothing. I'm not getting on Ooh. camera without foundation and concealer yeah I'm you not need doing it too. and eye stuff you do and I I need actually, my eyebrows filled in unless I'm playing a crackhead like there's no reason she did a person actually who was playing a street person. She put more makeup on them than she did on me. And I remember the costume wardrobe person sat down with me and she goes, you know, I don't know what's going on with her today. This is very strange. I'm going to have to talk to her because this is really it was a moment. I Because I have also you you don't want to be difficult. Right. Mm-hmm. So I had to sort of like strategically address it but i'll never forget that moment Mm. and i text amy schumer at the time and i said amy have you ever been in this position she goes yes i put a little makeup on myself so i put makeup on myself while i was in the train i put a little you know and i was nervous that she was gonna see it and go did you just put makeup on you know it was it was insane Someone told me like at a uh, Catholic school or in New York City, you don't have to be of that faith to work in administration in that school. Yeah, but just no, there's no reason for you to be on camera in this HD 1080p, you know, QII, all the high def in the world. I'm not doing it. I'm not going on camera without the things because they can see our pores. It's too much. You know, she didn't put anything. Yeah. And that's why I learned to start bringing foundation with me 
concealer, all the things. Bring all your things just in case. Yep. I always have these funny conversations with the white woman who's doing my hair on sets. I learned from watching um, this very funny comedian. The way she handled them, I watched her very carefully. She's She was very nice and kind, giving them confidence to do the job, as opposed to what I initially wanted to go was like, what the hell are you doing? Oh, my God. But they're always... I, I've noticed the, the the change has happened, whereas when a white woman is doing my hair, she goes... Just so you know, I know, you know, I have this and I have this option for you and I've worked with black hair before. And they'll, they'll say that. I'm like, thank you for at least saying that and making me feel mm-hmm. like, you know. OK, well, that's good. I think they've learned that, you know, let me try to make this situation go as easy as possible. How about the Nia Long controversy? Like, oh. <laughs> oh, man, I love what Nia said, though. She's just like. The outpouring of love and support from family, friends, and the community during this difficult time means so much to me. I ask that my privacy be respected as I process the recent events. Above all, I am a mother and will continue to focus on my children. I think that is the thing she needed to say because while everyone's discussing it, there's a family, there's children that are affected by this. Mm -hmm. I do feel for the children. I mean, she has one son from him that's still a minor. And I know her other son is from a a different um, relationship. But I just would, it baffles me what his plan was. I told you I'm type A, right? So I don't think about just, you know, point A and point B. I'm like A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and H. Like I I plan ahead. I think about what is happening. So when all this because they said they alerted him and the girl months ago, back in, I don't know, June, April, May, somewhere, and told them to stop. And so he knew that it was out. And then he knew it was coming and he knew it was going to be announced. What was the plan on having her move to Boston? Why not tell her before she moves across the country? Well, I have a, I have a suspicion he did. That's my, I think... Maybe behind the scenes, she knew it was coming too. And that's why she had the statement already and everything. This honestly, doesn't this sound like Queen Sugar, the first episode of Queen Sugar? But only it's not as like nefarious. Yeah. Or nefarious. Oh, 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 now I had to think about the, the pilot of Queen Sugar. Okay, so then she knew the whole time. Yes. But I feel like she knew the right because she had the statement ready right away. She did. Uh, they were, yeah. I feel like. Maybe that was part of the plan of her moving to Boston was to maybe like they were going to see what public opinion said. And if public opinion didn't really care about the affair, then she was just going to stay with them through it with the kid. Or, Mm. you know, if public opinion said otherwise, then it was going to be what's happening now. Because she's so famous, like everybody loves her, like all races, everybody loves her. So I think the Celtics and everybody was just bracing themselves for what the public was going to do. Cause even what's the one Kardashian, nobody even likes her. Chloe. The, the youngest one. Oh, Chloe. Kylie. Not her. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't oh, know you're, the I think it's Chloe. The one that with Tristan, it is Chloe? the one with the basketball. Yes. yes Tristan. This happened to her too. Mm-hmm. And they were very mean to the basketball, like Tristan, mm-hmm. like they were like booing him at games and stuff like that. And she's not even like, she's not like me a long love. You no. know what I mean? No, no. So, like people don't really even like her. So I think they were trying to just like see what was going to happen in the media. I think a year is too long, personally. 
but they're probably just trying to like make it so the public doesn't come to games and like well, boo him. And quite like honestly, that. he can't work there if he slept with the vice president's wife. You gotta go. I don't think he's coming oh, back. Is, was it the vice president's wife? He's a, oh, he's the VP of finance for the team. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, he's it's a done yeah. it's a done data. You know, it it'll never be okay. You know, you can't. I can't be. I can't have my job and come to work every day and you're, you know, two floors down. No. I did not know that. That's crazy. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Wow. So someone was saying, I'm Nigerian and someone was saying like, someone, someone responded to this article and was just like, hmm, Nigerians. And I was like, I was like, no. <laughs> I was like, we're not like that. That's always the thing. They go to. I know. They go to like your nationality. I just think it's men, period. It's men. And you can't put nothing past them. But it's it's so interesting that he would jeopardize a career that he's built over, you know, 30 years. And he was doing well. He was doing well. Finals, yeah. He'll never get that. Well, um, I don't want to say never, but it'll be hard to get that position and that opportunity again. And all for what? How did they find out? Okay, so what? The I love how you're whispering now. You're like, here's the tea. I love how you leaned in because I, I'll tell you something about my personality. Whenever I'm doing research for a show or a movie or TV, whatever, I do a deep dive. Like I got to read every book, see every documentary. Do so when this came out because I was so confused by it, by the the plan. So I got to figure out what's happening. So I'm looking at different sports articles, and along the way, what they said was. Um, the the VP heard it on the the ring door camera. What do you call it? Oh, the ring camera. The, oh, the ring, ring cam. She was apparently on the phone and didn't realize that the ring cam was picking up this illicit conversation. That ring camera is dangerous. See, we're surveilling ourselves oh, now. We're surveilling crazy. ourselves. So my friend told me she saw me saying goodbye to somebody. I said, from where? What are you talking about? She goes, I see you right now. I said in that ring. And you know, it does have the volume because I have a blink camera out there and I can hear and I could, you know, you can hear everything they're saying. Wow. That's crazy. Well, that allegedly. Okay. Okay. But it's probably, wow. yeah, you got you can't be cheating. You know, look, I, we were talking about this on my Saturday YouTube thing where we do to promote the podcast and this generation, the younger generation seems to be okay with open relation, more, op more open with open relationships than I think my generation, like I could not, but then I see all this cheating going on and I'm like, you can still cheat in an open relationship too. Cause it's about honesty. There it is. About you open, right. Do you honesty. have an open relationship? Don't you know? Yeah. What happened? Do you have an open relationship? Oh, so I was I was a polyamorous <laughs> person before my husband. My husband is not polyamorous, so we just like kind of work with it. But I'm also just like not that excited by relationships anymore anyway. <laughs> like I have no sex drive really. And like when I do have one, it's like usually just for my husband. Like it's not anybody else now. So because it seems draining. It seems really draining all the energy thrown at you from all these different people. Cause I I feel like I'm a bit of an empath. So it and I'm an introvert. Yeah, I'm an extroverted introvert. So I need time by myself to recharge. And to have to deal with all these different personalities and energies and soul ties is like, ah, 
You got to take care of everybody, make sure everybody feels okay about what's going on in a relationship. So many egos. You like literally, you got to learn everybody's love languages. And it's just like, yeah, the the one time that I successfully did it only lasted like two weeks. Yeah. But I was, yeah. It's exhausting. Because like there was only, there was only two weeks of peace before like person B got jealous of person A, like then person C was in the mix. It was like, yeah, it was bad. Mm Mm-hmm. That's why I'm single. I I, I can't with everything. <laughs> I mean, for one person, it's a lot, right? To to work in a relationship, but to have to be that for multiple people, I would I could go to bed. I, it's lights out. I can't even think about it. So yeah, I, just, I mean, I, I would say it's a young person's game. <laughs> well, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. And these young people are getting hurt because I know a few who say they were into it and they were okay with it and then they're not okay with it. You know, this was such a great conversation with both of you. Kay, you are an incredible guest that we've had, that we've met that's new. And I feel like I've known you, like, was she not so, so easy, easy to talk yep. to? Y'all are so like, easy to talk. I love this, by the way, but go ahead. I'm sorry. She's easy to talk to. I can't imagine. I would love to work for you because I cannot imagine, uh, you know, her, the vibe has to be great on your set. You're so real. You're so genuine. I'm so happy for all your success. I can't wait to see more. Noye, where can our listeners find you? Oh, you're... Everybody can find me at noyecomedy.com. I got some shows at Caroline's coming up. I'm doing a rap battle for the New York Comedy Festival in November. Uh, I already wrote it. I was so excited. (laughs) I wrote my rap battle. And also I have a show coming up at Stonewall. It's my show that I produce. I don't know if I could even say the name of it because it's It's a little teen. But it's on October 15th. It's my birthday show. And I'm very excited. It's a musical comedy show. I'm very excited for that. So N-O-N-Y-E comedy.com and with friends like us we'll never let you wear a bad wig <laughs> I love it I love it Kay thank you again Kay for being here tell our view, our listeners where they can find you I sure will this was awesome by the way I love the energy I love the vibe um, definitely can't wait to do it again but you can find me on Instagram at K-A-Y-E dot S um, I also have the show uh, at Covenant underscore the series is on Instagram my website road 106 films.com I'll say that one more time road 106 films.com where you can see the productions that I have already and things that are upcoming and it'll give you information about this new movie Agent Wright which is this uh, true crime psychological thriller that we're going to go into production with this winter can't wait for that and don't forget drum roll the Oval premieres again for season four, October 11th. You can see the second lady in all her glory get down to the business with these people. So I can't wait for you to see Miss Simone pop back on the scene October 11th. And with friends like us, you're going to have to worry about a bad picture being out in these streets. <laughs> Yeah, because we're gonna take we're, one and we're gonna make it. Good. We're gonna make it. We're either gonna edit it up or we're not gonna yes. post it. You got, we got you. Love it. That was perfect, and she's new at it. See, it, it makes sense. Marina Franklin here. Just go to my website, marinafranklin.com, and with friends like us, you can meet new friends and feel like they're old friends because they're so great for everyone that's listening. Thank you so much. Check, Check us out. out.